Hi, CityCast listeners. On Fridays, we'd like to take a look back at the week's news. Today, I am joined by Cesar Espinosa, the executive director of the civil rights organization FIEL, and by CityCast producer Farrell Gibbs. It is Friday, August 5th, 2022. I'm Lisa Gray, and this is CityCast Houston. All right, Cesar and Farrell, let's talk about this week's news. Um, Farrell, what do you think the biggest story was in Houston this week? The biggest story that I feel to my skin is this too hot to function section of the newsletter that Brooke did yesterday uh, about the hottest summer ever on record here in Houston. So far. So far. That's right. Could, yeah. I guess it could get worse. You know, for, for, for June and July. Yeah. It's, it's not the worst overall yet, but we're at the beginning of August. Yeah, that's, that's right. Um, in College Station where I am, I've never seen weather like this. You know, it's what, an hour north of the outer loop. Also, the hottest July record averaged 90 degrees for the month, which I think is about three degrees hotter than Houston. Uh, highest daily temp ever recorded 111 degrees. Ooh. It tied the record streak of 102 days plus uh, at 15 days straight. So, and, and then meanwhile, the real gut punch is that rainfall for the entire month was one-tenth of an inch. So I had no idea when I was moving to Texas that I was moving to a dang desert. But <laughs> the the one thing that's keeping me afloat yeah. is what meteorologist yeah. Frank Billingsley said this could be a cycle that happens once a decade. And I hope that's the case. Oh, man. Yeah, the heat is just dragging on me. Cesar, what about you? What do you think the biggest story has been this week? I mean, I think the biggest story has been some of the uh, things that have happened around, obviously, immigration, uh, the fact that people have been, ICE has been sending people to places that don't exist. Uh, 200 cases have been lost in the uh, ICE immigration system. And this could have grave consequences for these folks because if their paperwork is lost, if mm-hmm. it was sent to a place that doesn't exist, then and they have to show up to court and they don't have the paperwork, then obviously this could oh. lead to a deportation. And th- those are 200 cases that we know of. Uh, there yeah. could be hundreds, if not thousands, of cases out there. Because you never know how many are lost. Are you seeing those at Fiel? Are the people coming to you for help? We have uh, received calls uh, of folks who were sent specifically to the New York area. Uh, and when they showed up to places where they were supposed to be greeted either by a nonprofit or something like that, they found themselves in warehouses, uh, in, in places that just didn't exist. And like I said, those are... Only 200 cases that we know of in the New York area. We don't know mm-hmm. where else in the country this could be happening. And unfortunately, we could see ourselves finding more and more cases as time goes on. Oh, this is terrifying. Could you just sort of paint the picture for me? What does it look like? Are people being bused from Texas or wherever they were picked up to New York? So in, in some cases, folks are, are being bused up there specifically by Texas. Texas has started a, its own uh, movement to move people uh, on private buses to other areas, specifically in the East Coast. So basically to states where people vote Democratic, as I understood Governor Abbott. <laughs> Correct. Washington, D.C., New York. And mm-hmm. people 
are now being sent to to places where they may not exist. So th- just what does that mean not to exist? It's it's just like a warehouse, it's a empty field, it's what? So there are places that yeah, that that had or were maybe at one point were uh shelters or things like that and and now they're they're not and so they're showing up to empty buildings. Uh and there has been uh a grave mistake. There was a, a corporation that was thought to be a shelter for whatever reason. Uh, it was an oil and gas company, and they started to get immigration paperwork uh, because of a clerical error oh, in man. ICE. So this obviously is a cause for concern. Like I said, for some people, this is not just uh, an anecdotal mistake, but it could really be a life-altering, life-changing mistake. Yeah. So do you have any sense of what at least some people are doing when this happens? For the most part, folks are, are are trying to do the right thing. They're calling their their attorneys or, or their representatives are calling ICE or immigration, uh, and they're trying to rectify these issues. But unfortunately, until we know really the scope uh, of what has happened, we we won't we won't be able to tell um, how who it has really affected or who it really has not. The other thing to point out is that this is not only adults, this also includes children. Um, And so this could really have long lasting consequences for their cases. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That needs looking at. For me, the story that sort of took me back the most was about Houston city council. Um, The details began coming out this week because of a Houston Chronicle story about a scandal involving Sylvester Turner's counsel liaison, an aide named William Paul Thomas, who, during the pandemic, was apparently offered more than $13,000 to help a bar. This was back when, to be open, you had to be classified as a restaurant, not a bar. And the bar owner who is not named, we don't know what bar it was, apparently offered this aide a lot of money to help him get inspections and basically grease the wheels for his bar to be reclassified and to reopen. And now it's part of a federal investigation. This council liaison, the aide, William Paul Thomas, has pled guilty. There are hints that it could be part of a much broader federal investigation of corruption in Houston City Council. And I am really wondering how this is going to play out. Right after he pled guilty, like I think the night after at 11 p.m., Thomas resigned from his city of Houston job, uh, saying that it was for health reasons. When a Chronicle reporter called the mayor, Sylvester Turner, a little bit later, Turner said that he thought that was really why Thomas had resigned, that he didn't know anything about the guilty plea or this investigation. So I'm really curious how that's going to play out. Do you have any guess as to how it will, Lisa? I mean, I know that's a speculative question. Yeah, it's purely speculative because, you know, when there's an investigation going on, they don't want to show their cards and say, A, we are investigating. And of course, you never can be utterly sure about guilt. Although, you know, 
When Thomas has pled guilty, that indicates they must have had pretty strong evidence against mm-hmm. him. And it also sort of hints that he may have flipped, you know, to sort of help a wider investigation, possibly of bigger fish. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. When I was in the convenience store business, you you know, we would often deal with the alcohol board. And this is probably naive of me. But sometimes you would get clogged up in the system, particularly with the Alabama Health Department. And it never even occurred to me that you could you could pay off these these government workers because, you know, it just seems like a whole bunch of trouble. Not I mean, not that not that my company would, (laughs) but it never even occurred to me that you could do it, you know. (laughs) Yeah, well. It does occur yeah. to people, Farrell. And I guess wherever there's humans, <laughs> then that is a possibility. But uh, yeah. Yeah. That some percentage of people will often, you know, yeah. break rules. And so the question is always who's doing it? How many? <laughs> yeah. What do you do? All right. Well, let's move on to the most overlooked story this week. Farrell, what do you think should have gotten more attention? I, I probably have my two stories flip-flopped because I I was looking at the Houston gun buyback event. This is why I had it second. Um, Now, this Houston gun buyback Mm -hmm. event event took place last Saturday. Reason why it felt underplayed to me is that I keep reading these terms, ghost guns and 3D printed guns, and I realized that I don't really know what that is. So I went on this long investigatory internet stroll to find out what exactly is a 3D printed gun and what is a ghost gun? Is this common knowledge? So, okay, a 3D printed gun is one that somebody like made using a 3D printer. And it's basically like hard plastic, so it can get through a metal detector. That's exactly right. But see, I didn't know what a 3D printer was. Uh-huh. And so I went and investigated that. And oh, so basically, it's exactly uh-huh. what it, it seems. It's a computer. You make the specs on the screen. And then it has like a, I don't know, some sort of a machine that prints out what is on the screen. And so that's how this is happening. Yeah. They're very cool. I mean, you can do all kinds of stuff that are not (laughs) illegal or should be illegal. I mean, well, I think the technology has been around for a long time, but the trick was from what I read is that in 2019, I guess they got cheap enough and user friendly enough for it to make sense in the public sector. And then that's when those guns started becoming something that could be printed. And like you said, used to make it through the uh, detectors and stuff like that. So anyway, what this boils down to is for that buyback event, which is said to have been successful, uh-huh. some folks took those guns that they that they had made to the Houston buyback show. And you can manufacture a 3D printed gun for $5. And so that group gave out $100,000 for about uh-huh. 840 firearms. So that's about $120 a piece. So if you made a gun, a yeah. 3D gun for five bucks, and we're, we're one of the few, I think they stopped this maybe after it had happened a few times or whatever, but if you made a gun for $5, you could, you could net $115 with this buyback. Wow. Oh man, that is a major loophole. So do you have any sense of how many 3D guns? They well, bought? it's unclear how many of those sold. I think a few of them did before they put the kibosh on it. And then, and then going forward, they know, you know not to let those guns in. So it was a learning experience. Yeah. So there may actually be some guns that were printed for this buyback that are (laughs) on the street now that would not have been. It's it's very much like the story you just 
told, I mean, these things can happen. It's presents an opportunity for somebody to do something like this, you know, and make some money. Wow. I did yeah. not see that coming. <laughs> <laughs> Cesar, what about you? What has surprised you this week? What do you think should have gotten more attention? What is underplayed? What surprised me right now was was the story that you just said. <laughs> I never thought about that because uh, people were were asking us to share this uh, this gun buyback event, and I didn't know that loophole existed. So that's that's very interesting to know. Yeah, we'll, we'll sure. keep tabs on that from now on. <laughs> one of the stories that um, that I think deserves more coverage, or one of the things that has been overlooked, is is the um, I, I really uh, am worried about this monkeypox outbreak, and I feel like they're not telling us everything that we need to know uh in, in terms of especially in terms of like the vaccines that are available and that uh yeah. how some places are just not getting the help that that may be needed and before this turns into a public health crisis uh i feel like if there's any lesson learned from from covid is the that fast uh prevention is is probably key to making sure that that we don't uh, end up in the same spot as we did with COVID. Uh, and I think people are really taking it lightly. A lot of people take it as, as a joke and a lot of people are just not, they're not even serious about COVID either. I've heard stories in the last uh, month that have really taken me back of people who are now getting COVID and they're still going to work and they're just thinking that it's just yeah. like the flu. So uh, I think that, because of the fact that our lives were turned upside down by COVID, a lot of people are just mm -hmm. wanting to go back to quote-unquote normal when things are definitely not normal when we have new diseases coming out. Yeah, I have been thinking a lot about the early days of the AIDS crisis because I think that, as well as COVID, is kind of influencing monkeypox. Right now, the vast majority of people with monkeypox are men who have sex with other men. And, you know, it, it seems to be spread mainly through very close skin-to-skin -skin contact. And when AIDS broke out, it was sort of this, you know, scandalous thing, you know, the implication was. This plague upon gay men who, you know, maybe seemed to deserve it. And the idea was that the general public does not need to worry. And we all know that, yes, everyone could get AIDS. Correct. If you, you know, had the right kind of contact, you know, blood transfusions, you know, AIDS is sexually transmitted. Monkeypox appears to be just close skin to skin, you know, possibly through towels or things like that, but that's hard. And I think with monkeypox, like a lot of the messaging hasn't been clear. People don't necessarily understand how it's transmitted. Um, and I think that especially if the vaccines are limited, you want to make sure that the people at highest risk are the ones getting the vaccines. But I also have real worries about what could happen if that pathogen mutates. Um, because there's nothing that says it stays the way that it is now that it would only be transmitted through close contact or that, you know, it would only be super painful and not deadly. Um, right now it's not terribly deadly, but I just want to hear a lot more about it. 
I think people are tired of plagues <laughs> from COVID. To add on to uh -huh. that, I think like, uh, um, especially here in Houston, there hasn't been uh, a lot of outreach done into, into minority communities, specifically the Latino community. Uh, and when mm -hmm. you have um, information being shared out, but it's not in a, in a language that people can understand, that could really lead to a lot more confusion and a lot more just lack of, of knowledge and, and more spread. Uh, when we, when COVID started happening, there was a lapse in that, and and for this for the same reason, people were just uh, very mm -hmm. ignorant as to how it could be spread or or what they needed to do. And so a lot of uh, a lot of people in the Latino Spanish speaking Latino community uh, suffered a lot harder um, or more uh, deaths and more. Uh, just had a, a harder time with it because they just didn't know. Hi. It is so hard. What is your most overlooked? The story that I'm watching right now is about the green bandana movement in Mexico um, and how it's affecting Texas. So until pretty recently, abortion was not legal in most of Mexico. Now it's legal in about, I don't know, between a quarter and a third of Mexican states, including um, Monterrey, which is right at the border with Texas. And one of the things that grew out of abortion not being legal was this um, green bandana movement, or it was called the acompañamiento movement, um, accompanying movement. And the idea was that this network of women, sort of underground, would help someone who needed an abortion to get it, um, usually through pills. And they would coach the person via text messages, social media, video conferencing on what they needed. Sometimes if they needed a place to stay, they'd even help them with that. And after you know, some of the states in Mexico began legalizing abortion. Instead of, you know, going away because it wasn't needed, this movement actually grew because it turned out with abortion legal, even more people sort of needed the help. Um, it's considered almost outreach now. And one of the fascinating and kind of scary things is that now loads of Texans are turning to Mexico for help getting an abortion, um, getting pills. And in fact, this movement is spreading to Texas. Um, there was a great Texas Tribune story where I was reading about it recently, and they quote someone in the Houston movement, you know, anonymous, of course. But, you know, some people have little stockpiles of abortion pills. Um, the movement is helping people to figure out how to navigate a system to have an abortion. And I just, I did not see that coming. And I'm very interested in it. I think it's very similar to what's happening in the U.S., but except the U.S. Mm -hmm. is going backwards and Mexico is going forward. So for a long time, a long time, abortion was criminalized. Now they are kind of letting the states decide what, if they want to make it legal in their state. And yeah. it's very interesting because I have a cousin visiting right now from Mexico, from Mexico City, and in a lot of things, at least Mexico City is turning really progressive. So it's really interesting to see 
where I guess they may be more progressive, but also where they be where they may be more regressive. So it's 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 an interesting dynamic. I mean, it's like it's like Texas or most of the United States. The city is progressive, and the rural parts are very different. Yes. All right. Okay. So time to move on to what is giving us joy, what's making us happy. Farrell, what is doing that for you? Well, my joy is bittersweet joy. I'm taking a job in College Station where my wife goes to vet school. I'm heartbroken because, you, you know, my joy has been working with you and with Dina and with the whole crew, Carly, all the roving producers, and I will miss seeing your face every day. I also don't think that maybe you take compliments all that well. So this is a great moment for me because it's going on <sighs> tape for everybody to hear. But you, you found me in Alabama and it has completely changed my life. As I've done this show with you, I've realized that a lot of the people that have come on from the Chronicle, other writers all over the place, they tell a similar story that you found them and encouraged them. And uh, I'm, I'm so glad that you did. And also, I plan to, um, you know, co collaborate with you and do more things up here in College Station. So uh, I thank you for having me and for um, helping me get to this point. We are sure going to miss you, Farrell. I'm glad that it's a great job. I'm glad for you, but boy, is it not bringing me joy. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> I guess I shouldn't be glad to see you leave. But Cesar, do well, you have something that's going to make me happier? What is making you happy? <laughs> I think I think right now one of the one of the things, and, and we actually have an event coming up this this Friday, where mm -hmm. we're going to be showcasing a woman uh, who wants to honor Indigenous women here in Houston. Uh, she's actually an immigrant herself. Mm -hmm. She's just there's trying to give back. Uh, I was talking to my wife the other day that that um, about a two years ago I decided that what I do is is very hardcore, very uh, draining. So I told her part of my mm -hmm. scope was going to expand, and we were going to support more more uh, local artists to to do projects. Uh -huh. And so this is one of. Uh, about four events that we've had in the last year where we're supporting local artists, where we are uh, funding local artists and where we're giving artists the space to, to actually get their work seen and for them to also follow their passion uh, while still uh, dealing with, with a lot of real issues uh, and all that stuff. But at the same time, in a more relaxed environment where we give a lot of these young folks the opportunity to showcase their work. So uh, it's going to be at Silver Street uh, Studios. Oh, this sounds cool. And is the public invited to this event? Yes, absolutely. The public is invited. Uh -huh. uh, it's free of charge. It's family friendly. Yeah. It'll be uh -huh. uh, Friday, August 5th uh, from 6 to 9 p.m. But the uh, exhibition will go on uh, in, for the rest of the month of August. Oh, this sounds great. My sort of moment of joy is just sort of the flip side of Farrell's big story. It is that the coming few days are predicted to be cooler, that we're going to have what is a normal August, you know, temperatures in the 90s and a decent chance of rain for a few days. It just feels like relief. And so I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> So it's it's interesting that you say that because I uh, uh -huh. I was just telling a friend of mine that I used to look forward to 
days like we've been having with no cloud cover, just beautiful blue skies. And now I look forward to the days where it gets cloudy and it starts raining. <laughs> uh, so I guess I guess we always miss what we don't get. Oh, precisely. <laughs> I thought it was really funny the way Space City weather put it. They said this will be the most normal month of the summer. August will be. But for you to remember, August is the worst month of the mm-hmm. year in Houston. <laughs> and this year it comes as a relief. So, <laughs> <laughs> Who right. saw that coming? All right. Well, thank you both. This has been great. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa. That's it for our show today. Our lead producer is Dina Kesba. The producer who we're going to miss terribly is Farrell Gibbs. Our newsletter is written by Brooke Lewis. And I'm Lisa Gray, your host. We'll be back Monday. Talk with you then. (laughs) Oh, who's that? Oh, that's my little one. He's uh, he's he does podcasts with me. <laughs> he's gonna be uh, a superstar yeah, one day for sure. <laughs> Starting him early. <laughs>